Welcome back to the Bush League bullpen. There's been a lot of shit going on. But first, follow us on Twitter, please, at BL Bullpen. Um, uh, follow, follow, you'll have me and Derek. Hello. Yes, it's I, Derek. Yes, follow uh, us on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll respond. We have nothing else better to do. It's literally just us. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Follow no interns. Us. We are the interns. It'll be uh, very personal. It's a very personal and fun and stupid Twitter page. A lot of opinions. Um, yes, lot tell of- us your opinion. Yell at us. Argue with us. You yes. know, I love to argue. I love to argue. It's hilarious because then I get to try out new insults and confuse people. But um, I think one of my favorite things about our Twitter is not only like can we get opinionated, but we can share our favorite opinion, which is something related to some big news in baseball this this week, which is that the Hall of Fame had no inductees, which is both horrible and great at the same time, because we were getting real worried here that they were going to start allowing cheaters. But thankfully, we're still we're still not still not at that point yet. Uh, Clemens and Bonds did not get in. Um, they have one more year of eligibility, and hopefully they get skunked once more. Um, for those of you who watch uh, Barstool and, like, know, uh, I think it's the Starting Nine podcast or whatever with uh, Car- Carabas or Car- Caribbean Pirate Man or and uh, Dallas Braden. I know that they're big fans of, like, the Hall of Fame telling the history of baseball. But, like, tell the history of baseball, but also immortalize the people who should be, not the cheaters. Cool. Um, Omar Vizquel deserves to be in, and that's pretty much all I have to say. Derek, what about you? We'll talk more about this in a later show. Um, I have some, I have some interesting opinions. So I think what them we should really, what the Hall of Fame should really do is create a two strike standard for everyone who got a positive test after Goodell came in and was like, they're banned from here on out. You mean? I think then you can. Did you just say Goodell? Oh, the wrong sport, bro. That's right. Uh, Manfred. No, not Manfred. Seelig. Bud Seelig. Seelig. I don't know why I couldn't think of Seelig. Um, I'm usually used, I'm arguing most people about, man, how Goodell is stupid. But anyway, uh, back when, when Bud Seelig said no more steroids in baseball, they're on out if they got two positive tests. I don't think they should be allowed in the Hall of Fame. And then I feel like if you want to make claims of allowing the guys because of benefit of the doubt, Maybe you can make those claims. I personally don't want to see you in the Hall of Fame. There is no, but I know there's like no benefit of the doubt for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, though. Like, yeah. It, well, the only thing I've heard do. is some people, some people believe they're the guys who use steroids are already in the Hall. So what's the point? Well, but I'm saying, okay, mm-hmm. I mean, if you wanted to say all that far, but then let's not allow the guys who cheated after MLB made it specifically and said no, like. They're, they maybe made a point to tr- they're trying to get rid of them. Yeah. So these guys playing now get multiple negative te- or multiple positive tests. I say why 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 should they get in the Hall of Fame? Plus, like innocent until proven guilty. People will argue forever about Jim Tomey and Frank Thomas and Albert Pujols, guys who never tested positive, but were home run gods during their time playing. And there's probably a good chance that they dabbled in some steroid use here and there. But they never. I actually don't think Pujols ever did. I have a, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about this when we do our Hall of Fame show. But uh, I don't. I really don't think Pujols ever did. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think so either. And but that might just be the hopeful Cardinal fan in, in me. But the thing is, like, if people are gonna be like, oh, there's already people in there. Well, there aren't though. 
So I mean, it's just, it's, but again, it's just speculation. It's just there's guys that have gotten in that people think did use them or had fingers pointed at them, but there was no again. They didn't test back then. They test now. So guys like Cano and Arod who got received multiple positive tests, I don't think they should get in. Yeah, I just don't like Arod as a human being, so uh, I just don't want him in anyway. But, I mean, if we were going by that, then the Hall of Fame would have, like, half the people removed. Like, Hornsby wouldn't be in there. Ty Cobb wouldn't be in there. Mickey Mantle wouldn't be in there. Basically, any Yankee wouldn't be in there. Except for Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig's a saint. Anyway. Lou Gehrig is a saint. Okay, so some of the moves that happened in baseball. Let's start with another one that affected Pittsburgh. Uh, Joe Musgrove (laughs) is on his way to San Diego. So, San Diego's continuing to add pitching. Like, there's no tomorrow. They got a great one. Mm-hmm. So San Diego gets Joe Musgrove. The Mets got a part of this trade. They'll get Joey Lucchesi from San Diego, the left-hander. The Pirates will get a handful of players. From the Mets, they're going to get a catching prospect named Andy Rodriguez. Uh, the Pirates are also going to get right-handed pitchers David Bednar, outfielder Hudson Head, another right-handed pitcher in Drake Fellows, and left-handed pitcher Omar Cruz. Uh, Eli, you want to hear something interesting about uh, David Bednar? Always. He's from Pittsburgh, grew up in the area, so he's uh, he's actually coming back. Just like Joe Musgrove is going back to where his hometown, because he grew up in San Diego, Bednar's coming back to Pittsburgh. That was less interesting than you set it up to be. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, as of right now, the biggest impact that we're going to see is Joe Musgrove going to San Diego from this trade. I mean, just prospects. I mean, they're always going to be touchy. Who knows? These guys could be something great. They could not be. That's the beauty of baseball. It's not like football where these guys get drafted in the first round and they play first round football for the rest of their lives. Now, we get to see some uh, we get to see hopefully some interesting development come out of Pittsburgh for like the first time since like 2011. Like uh, I'm I like I rip on Pittsburgh, but like I especially because of their new uniforms, I can't wait until they're good again. <laughs> I want to be able to buy a Pittsburgh. Uh, I want to. I want to be able to buy a Cabrian Hayes like playoff jersey with like that cursive Pittsburgh font. It's beautiful. The um, the '90s Pittsburgh script. Oh, I know it's so it's so good it's, looking. Oh, I do think though. I know what the current the new GM Ben Charrington for is trying to do with Pittsburgh. If you look at all the trades that Pittsburgh has made, there's one thing he's always made a point to get, and that's a right-handed pitcher. In every single trade, Pittsburgh has acquired right-handed pitching. I think it's because. Well, obviously, pitching is one of the most important parts of the game. Oh, really? You can't have enough pitching. So if you have, so I think one day Pittsburgh's just going to open the floodgates of the minor leagues, let all these guys come up, and they could have a great team of just young prospects that pan out. You know, some don't pan out, doesn't matter, because they got, you know, six right-handed pitchers they've acquired so far this offseason. Yeah, it'll be a... Uh... It'll be interesting to see what they do, especially considering, like, how many of these guys could potentially be MLB-ready in the next, like, one, two years. Like, you could just see an onslaught of just young pitchers come up. And it'll be interesting, like, especially to see uh, see kind of like a – I mean, I don't want to say that Atlanta in the 90s was like this, but because of their rotation, it could be really fun to watch a team be, like, pitching-dominated and – like they win by a couple by a small margin in all these games, but they still rack up a shit ton of wins because their pitching is just that good. It'd be fun to see a team like that again because everybody's just so focused on getting these big power bats to you know bolster their offense. Speaking of bolstering an offense with a power bat, let's talk about our friends up north, the Toronto Blue Jays coming out and getting two big bats, George Springer for six years. He, he wanted to flee Houston and all that shit so bad, he went all the way up to Canada. Um, and But signing, but along with 
George Springer, they got another guy from the AL West, which is Marcus Semyon, which honestly came out of nowhere. Like, there was no talk about Marcus Semyon, and all of a sudden, he's wearing blue. Derek, thoughts? <laughs> so, I love this. I mean, you look at a young Blue Jays offense that has a lot of heavy hitters that you just know care, like, are destined for greatness. Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vladimir Guerrero, like, the obvious ones. You have a couple veterans who shown glimpses of what they can do, like Randall Gritchick and all them. But this four-man outfield that Toronto has created, it's just it's disgustingly beautiful. Teoscar Hernandez, Gritchick, Guriel Jr., and now Springer, like that's not even talking about Derek Fisher, who they could just throw in sometimes as a pinch runner or a defensive mm-hmm. replacement. I, um, I think uh it's what just, you'll see is probably um since Gritchick's technically the old man out there, you'll probably see um the, I think the everyday outfield is going to be Guriel, uh, like going across Guriel, Springer, Grichik, and then Teoscar being their power bat DH. I mean, he's not like a butcher defensively, but the other guys are just better. But like they're up by a couple of runs, you'll probably see Grichik get subbed out for Fisher. But like that's it's just so nasty because like that's so many weapons that you have out there and just and just the outfield, like let alone their star studded infield. I just I, every time I look at this team and like every time they make a new move, I'm just like, I get more and more excited because <laughs> I'm like, ooh, the Yankees are going to get like fucked up by these guys. I can't wait. <laughs> yes. And uh, they also signed uh, Yates to a one year deal. Like, you know, they were in on Hendricks and he didn't, he went to Chicago. So it's good to see the Blue Jays, they're improving the bullpen. So they're, they're more than just doing what teams usually do. And they don't, they're not just improving the offense, they are improving the bullpen. They're saying, okay, like, we're going to make sure that we're all around a great team and that we can win in any facet of the game. We can win big comebacks, close games. Like, And for those of you out there thinking, like, well, why'd they get Marcus Simeon if they have Bo Bichette who can play short? I think you're going to see – so the rumor is Simeon is playing second base. Bichette will play short still. And then probably you'll keep Guerrero at third and Biggio yeah, at which first. Which probably is the smartest move that they can make because – if Guerrero's workout program is going to serve him well, he's going to become way more agile at third. He's going to be a way better defender this this next year, which I hope so because it's a hell of a bat. But if you're giving up like six runs on average on defense, you can't really make all that up with one swing of the bat. So he's got to get those error numbers down. But yeah, getting Marcus Semyon, like again, just came really out of nowhere, but there's no way that it's not going to do anything but help them. Like he's a good, he's got a good glove. He's got a great bat. He proved that during the postseason too. He was one of the few consistent hitters for Oakland this last postseason. So I'm excited to see him. And plus like Kirby Yates, if you can't get Liam Hendricks, it's your next best bet. Kirby Yates. He's still got some gas left in the tank and uh, he'll definitely be a good, uh, he'll be a good anchor at the end of that bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I kind of sad cuz I wanted Dolis to stay as their closer. I think Yates takes over as the closer. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dolis the setup man. I know they have Chatwood now too. Uh in the, the Blade, the Blue Jays, they're a contender now. There's no doubt about. It. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are making themselves contenders. They're going out, they're saying, "We're not going to wait mm-hmm. anymore because and I just you see all that you see all this talent up on the markets and you see teams trading for other pieces and you're like, "Well, look, these free agent pieces we can just take them, and now we have an even better team. And I think the, I think a lot of teams are going to go all in, pay these guys, and then just kind of hope that, you know, the young core – because you got to remember, like, it's the young core plus Springer for mm-hmm. the next six years. And that's 
amazing for the Blue Jays. That's a great start. That's a great start to a potential yeah, dynasty. I, I hope it's a dynasty too, because uh, if there's going to be any dynasty in baseball, I would much rather have it come from just like some team that just scra- like they they look they kind of feel scrappy. But you look at them and you look at the names and you look at their numbers and you're just like, oh my god, this is like an actual like premium good ass team. <laughs> like I I. I just I'm so much more in love with the idea of a dynasty built around just a bunch of these guys that you bring up and you every now and then grab a piece rather than you know the Yankees and Dodgers style dynasty where you pay out the ass to win baseball games and it's, I don't know it's just fun I can't wait for the Blue Jays they're just so much fun to me. <laughs> it's the bomber Blue Jays of old. Yeah. By old I mean 2015. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um. <clears throat> Their counterparts, well, if you want to call them that, in the AL East have uh, acquired Jamison Tyon. The Yankees have decided that they're still not happy with where they're at, and they need more arms. I mean, I guess that makes sense, considering Masahiro Tanaka is going back to Japan. But I just want the Yankees to suffer, so I'm just upset. Can you agree? <laughs> yeah, this this trade hurt me, because as a Pirates fan, I don't like seeing good players go to Pittsburgh. And they already have Garrett Cole, so it's like all these people being like, Cole and Tyon reunited and a good team. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the Yankees, so it's not good. Um, but here's another thing like I was talking about. Ben Charrington acquired two right-handed pitchers in this deal and two high-valued prospects in the Yankee system. Contreras is a 19th overall prospect, and Miguel Yahir, I think it is, is a number 15th overall prospect in their system. And then the left fielder they got from the Yankees, uh, Kanan Smith, is the number 120 overall prospect. And they also got a highly like well-respected shortstop in uh, Escoto. So this is another trade. Again, like the Pirates are just acquiring a bunch of wealth to go with the go with the prospects they've drafted. I mean, they've drafted good prospects the last couple of years. I mean, their last of like their last first round pick is already being projected as like the highest ceiling of any prospect in the system that they have. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 just another one of those things where it's just like tie on is going to be up is going to be like the big like piece of the puzzle like to see how that trade works out for either kit in either way like see if it's going to hurt the pirates to get rid of them which probably but i think the pirates are really just kind of you know they're they're letting themselves get stabbed for the good of the future for the good of their future (laughs) like they're just taking all these hits and hopefully uh there'll be a better team in the next couple of years because of it. I mean, I would hope so, because uh, it's not fun to watch teams just kind of sit in the cellar for years. I mean, and like, plus two, right now they're opening up positions for their current guys that are ready to come up. I mean, this is now, now Cody Pond, JT Brewbreaker, and Mitch Keller have an easy spot. Like, there's less competition mm-hmm. now. The only guys left from last year that could, there are for starters, is Chad Cool and Steven Brawl. So there's three open spots now. Like, you want the Derek Holland's gone. Uh, Trevor Williams was left in free agency. Musgrove's traded. Tyon's traded. Like so, the 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 opening the spots for positions allows guys to come up and prove themselves. James Marvel could get another shot at the major league rotation. You could have all of a sudden like Cody Ponce could come out there and be a great. Like, he's shown glimpses. J T. Brubaker showed glimpses. I mean, Mitch Keller threw twelve consecutive no hit innings. The last his last two starts. He threw basically a six-inning no-hit game, got pulled, and then threw another six-inning no-hit game and got pulled. And he looked – and they were against good offenses. I know the one was against Cleveland. So you never know. Like, there are there, these are opening spots for guys to come up now. They don't have to fight with veterans who would have the advantage. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I'm excited because guys are going to get called up soon and they're going to, they're going to do well. And if, if enough of them do well, the Pirates could be back on top sooner than you expect. And they all, they have the prospect depth to continue to be on top. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real possibility. The, the only question of course is, um, you know, if other teams make moves out there, how good are they going to be and for how long, but Considering yeah. how deep their Pirates prospect list goes, I, there's there's a little silver lining, there's some hope, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, and all these other euphemisms that we could use. Anyway, um, enough talk about the Pirates, is because it bores me. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about the other side of that deal, the Yankees, who have made their first trade with the Red Sox since 2014, and only their sixth since 1969, because they hate each other. And it's fantastic. But Adam Adovino, and um, it's, it's it's not, you don't pronounce it like the like like the nationality German. It's Herman, right? Frank Herman. Yeah, I think it's Herman. All right, cool. So you get Adovino and Herman going to the Red Sox for a question mark. This surprised me. I didn't, this trade didn't make sense to me from a Yankee standpoint. Like, are they just clearing up? I mean, the very least, this could just be to clear up money. Adovino has a big contract. They're they're they 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 know they have depth in the pitching, so they're gonna move out of Vino, let you know someone else take over. But I don't really know who else is left in that bullpen other than Chapman off the top of my head. I mean, this is good for the Red Sox. They need that they need a, they need a guy to come in and be the closer again. Her Herman is a highly respected pitcher. The only thing I can think of is um like in terms of like who's left in that bullpen, I think we're actually going to see the Yankees start to call up their starters because we've we've heard for the last couple of years that the Yankees have some like decent starters in their uh, prospect system. I mean, we saw Luis uh, Sessa come up uh, this last year and he pitched really well, but I don't think he's got a spot in that starting rotation quite yet. But that's who he is. He's a starter. Same thing with uh, Jonathan Lysaga, who has – come up here and there, but has never seemed perfectly MLB ready. So <clears throat> I think Adovino kind of frees up a spot, not only in the bullpen, but in uh, their budget so that they can bring these guys up, like get these starting pitchers in like uh, high pressure relief spots, uh, use them as long relievers and see what they can do um, to try to, you know, paint a picture of how they're going to be as starting pitchers. You're going to like this is it's kind of like a trial run is what we're gonna see I think um, you're gonna see Sessa back out in the bullpen quite a bit he's probably gonna make a few starts here and there as well um, Lysaga I think is another guy who you're gonna see come up quite a bit um, in relief spots maybe even get some starting some um, starting time but I think uh, I, I really think that's their biggest move is they just need to get rid of some people so that they can actually invest some time and money in their prospects I, I mean the only the, the thing that I really think is amazing about this trade is what the Yankees got in return is basically like cash you know and they may not it's the fact that it's cash or a player player to be named means they probably got a little cash now and they can't the Red Sox and them can't agree on a player to get later there's gonna the Red Sox will just send more cash so it just seems like a very kind of like it seems like a selling like a, a team that's like kind of selling would do I don't know it's just, it was just strange. Uh, for those who are interested, though, that 2014 trade between the Yankees and the Red Sox, that sent Stephen Drew to the Yankees. Who did the who did the Red Sox get in return, though? They got the Yankees shortstop. With it. They basically just swapped veteran shortstops. I forget who the other 
So the Yankees got or the Red Sox got Kelly Johnson. The Yankees got Steve or Stephen Drew. Yes, so. and uh, we had to look up who Kelly Johnson was for obvious reasons. Um, These teams don't make trades very often, mainly because the famous one, of course, was the great Bambino uh, causing a hundred-year curse when they traded when the Red Sox traded into the Yankees. Yeah, but um, that's I, I would I would probably stop making deals with the Yankees about the Red Sox too. After that, that's just kind of that's just rough. Anyway, um, let's move away from this league entirely and go into the National League, where we have the Nationals finally starting to make some moves, um, aside from signing Kyle Schwarber a while back. But they went out and got Brad Hand to uh, a one-year deal, as well as veteran lefty John Lester, who I think is about to end his career, and this could be his last. So I don't like John Lester, uh, people can find me on this one. He's not an ace. I don't think he ever, I mean, maybe the first year of Chicago, he was an ace, but then after that, everyone had tried to, he was, he was a guy who should not have been an ace that they were trying really hard to make an ace and he just didn't have it anymore. And they, when they should have been putting all their money into guys like Kyle Hendricks and Darvish, like those were your aces. Lester was never the ace of Chicago. I don't think, I don't think he should have ever been. So he's going to work perfectly with the nationals who don't need an ace. They need a number five. They have, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, and I think they still have Anibal Sanchez. If not, they have someone who can pitch behind Corbin. Mm-hmm. They need a four or five. This is what John Lester is. So it works perfectly for them. They're they're not a team that they don't care if he go if he returns to you know prime John Lester because they just need a guy in the back of the rotation to get outs. The Brad Hand part, on the other hand, is the probably the best one that signing they could have made because they need a closer. I mean, I know Hudson's still there, and Hudson can get the job done. Mm-hmm. But, like, Hand, I would, I trust Hand more than I trust Hudson. But the very fact that you can just eighth, ninth is one of those two guys, like, you're fine. Like, Scherzer can, if Scherzer can get you to the eighth, then you just got to hand the ball to Hand and then hand the ball to Hudson or vice versa. So Yeah, plus was, uh, they had they had that guy who could get you those outs in the last, in the, like, last two innings or whatever in Sean Doolittle. So, you know, getting Brad Hand is like Doolittle's no slouch, but Brad Hand, I even feel is kind of a step up. The only thing is, um, for me, I don't know why, but I'm like really down on the Nationals. And I just, I almost am mad at them for getting Brad Hand because I don't think the Nationals are going anywhere. I think Brad Hand is a really, really, I think he's a really, really good pitcher, but I feel like he's being wasted going to a team that's not gonna go anywhere <laughs> like you can you can fight me all you want on this but the fact of the matter is they have to go up against the Mets the Braves and honestly kind of even the Phillies who I think are going to enter in a new era under Dombrowski but like they have at, they have at least two really damn good teams that they have to be and with no expanded playoffs I don't see them getting in so um poor Brad Hand is going to be wasting a year for a team that's not going anywhere but at least he's getting 10 and a half mil <laughs> yeah I think the Washington could surprise you I mean they've well, they've gotten there before and they have hitters they have Soto they have Bell they have Schwarber yeah but um, I mean that year they also had you know Childish Bambino and the guy who got robbed of the National League MVP award that season like they, and plus Howie Kendrick, who was an absolute stud with a bat, not so much defensively, but oh, but like who cares? That bat was incredible. That bat made Dodgers fans cry, and it was incredible. Made me cry, but tears of happiness. 
Um, but you know, they don't have him anymore. Ryan Zimmerman, as much as I love the dude, I think he's like one of like the best faces of any franchise ever. Like he's he's just like the kind of dude where you just like look up at him and you're just like, ah, Ryan Zimmerman. Like it's it's crazy. Um, but he's he's getting old. I don't think he's gonna be in DC next year. I think he'll probably even retire after next year. Like I just don't think that they have they don't have everything. Plus, Adam Eaton's gone now, too, so there's kind of a hole in that outfield that they're trying to fill with Kyle Schwarber. Like, there's a... I, I, I always say how much I like Kyle Schwarber, but there's just two very different skill sets, and Adam Eaton has already been established, whereas Kyle Schwarber is very much, like, a question mark with a lot of potential. Just, I don't know. I just don't think that they're going to get to the same place that they were. I mean, I see that. I don't know. I just... I don't want to bet against the Nationals with the talent that's there, the postseason experience. If they can sneak in a while, if they can sneak into the playoffs, I, I feel like the money's on them. I don't know. I Because I, I have hesitations to me. They go like, well, the Mets with all these moves they've made are going to do amazing. Because we've seen this time and time before. These teams go out and get a bunch of players that are brand new to the organization, and they don't mesh well, and then it just doesn't go anywhere. We've seen it work too, though, so – I don't know. I don't. It's just weird. But speaking of the Phillies, Real Muto is back with the Phillies. That pretty much who I thought was going to get to sign him. I know we talked about other teams that could use him, but I mean, like like you were saying, a lot of teams aren't going to shell out that kind of money for a catcher. The Phillies are the only ones that probably could have because they already had him, and they kind of one of the last pieces they yeah. needed. So, what do you think, Eli? Real Muto back on the Phillies. How do you feel about this? I feel the same way about it as I do kind of about Brad Hand. I just feel stronger this way because Real Muto is the best catcher in baseball. And in five years, he will no longer be the best catcher in baseball. And the Phillies, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be wrong about this because of Dombrowski and his history as a general manager. But the severe lack of talented pitching in Philadelphia is like I mean we've all seen that gif of him of Real Muto standing at the pitcher's mound and he sees who's coming out of the bullpen and he just shakes his head in disappointment right like it's just an incredible gif just like I feel like that's just going to be him for five straight years unless they actually unless Dombrowski you know finally gets Philly back on the right track I just it's it's another problem like it's a question mark of just like He's talented. This team is talented, except for on the mound. And if they don't fix that and fix it fast, then they're going to be wasting five years of one of the best players in baseball. Like, they're going to be wasting five years of his career. So I know, other, yeah, because pretty much other than Nola, there's no one else in the rotation that really stands up to, like, ace level. Um, out of the bullpen, they have a couple shining pieces. Uh, I mean, they signed, they signed Archie Bradley, who I love. It's a great signing for them. And this is going to working towards that. But I mean, they're doing what they did a couple of years ago when they got Harper and Segura and Ramuto. They built the offense really, really strong. And they're just going to try to beat everybody by just hitting harder than them. But it doesn't, nope, it doesn't. work. It tie, like Teams can't win that way, at least not consistently enough. I mean, maybe the Phillies have a couple pitching prospects that I'm, can, you know, that are, that, are little, that are come up and will start doing amazing i don't see that happening though just from what i've little i've seen of their like 
their pitching like depth and stuff in the minors. Well, the but... thing too is it's really hard to outslug teams when the teams that you're trying to outslug are throwing guys like Degrom, Syndergaard, Carrasco, Soroka, Freed, and like all these aces at you. Like it's it's gonna be hard to outslug these guys. You gotta actually, you know, kind of dampen their power too. You gotta you gotta fight, you gotta fight fire yeah. with fire. It's just it, it uh, it's just you can't just it keep trying to outslug everybody because it's not gonna work forever. Yeah, because if you're gonna tell me, oh, it's Strasburg and Soto versus you know Real Muto and whoever's pitching for the Phillies that day, I'm gonna go with Soto and Strasburg yeah. because I know Strasburg's gonna shut down the offense for the Phillies, and then Soto's gonna get to the pitching. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I and this is just you just need more pitching. I mean, you never know. In five years, when Muto may not even be behind the plate, he could be playing first base. Yeah, maybe. But a lot of catchers transition to first base anyway. I know the Giants wanted to transfer Buster Posey, but I think they put a pin in that after he's come back healthy yeah. this year. So I, uh, I think his next position is center field. Anyway, um, what else do we have to talk about? <laughs> Apparently, Eli's rampant drug use. But let's talk about. So we mentioned Tanaka's going back to Japan. Hey, I I mean, it's just, I don't I know. They said this was an opportunity for him. He had an offer from his, I think it was the original team he pitched for, uh, which it makes sense for him. If no team's going to offer, if no team that you like is going to offer you a contract, just go back home. Like, Plus, you know, it, no, no reason it's suffering on a team like, you know, the Diamondbacks that you don't want to play for and aren't going anywhere just because they're the only major league team to offer you a contract. You can go back to Japan. I mean, Japan is, pretty like almost to the same level of MLB is just the same level of talent and maybe a little lower um, just because like then you get start getting like the, the lower depth guys may not be to the same levels like MLB depth guys, but the superstar is the same. He could come back to MLB maybe one more year, but I just think you're going to see him this. We may have seen the last of Tanaka, which is sad. Yeah, he's a hell of a pitcher, wasted his time with a team that nobody likes um, except for morons. Um, but I gotta say that was probably some of the that was probably the quickest seven years of any career I've ever seen because it really does not feel like Tanaka has been around for that long at all. I feel like I feel like I remember the hype and him getting signed just yesterday, but like like this dude has this dude saw like Mike Trout before he became the best player in baseball. Like that's just ridiculous to me. Like it really doesn't feel like it's been that long. But man, time flies, and that's not even a. It's not even because of a pandemic. This is whack. Um, uh, we have one more notable signing, but honestly, I don't know how much there is to talk about it. Um, Jock Peterson going to the Cubs. They lost the big lefty bat in Kyle Schwarber, and they have replaced it with a big lefty bat in Jock Peterson. I think the only thing that you're going to get from Jock Peterson is a little bit more consistency, not too much compared to Kyle, like in comparison to Kyle Schwarber. Probably a step up in defense, considering Jock has played outfield his entire life when he wasn't a wide receiver. Um, and if the Cubs miraculously make the playoffs, you have a guy who has shown that if you have any doubts about him in the regular season, there's no such thing as a doubt against him in the postseason because he's just incredibly clutch. And it has definitely made me upset the last few years. But, I mean, at least he's not wearing Dodger blue anymore. So this – Signing confuses the crap out of me because with every rumor we've heard about Chicago up until this point, you know, trading Darvish and Caratini, letting Schwarber and Almero walk, the rumors flying around that 
Contreras is on the market and that Bryant could be shipped be. and all of a sudden they go out and sign Jock Peterson yeah. does not make any sense to me. This whole new GM comes in and says, we're going to build for the future. We're going to make sure in five years that we can still compete. Maybe they did that already in his mind. So now he's going to try to grab players or he just saw an opportunity to get a value, like a, a value left-handed bat and didn't want to <laughs> miss the, the sale, you know? <laughs> If uh, if this if the Cubs team that we are looking at right now, their new GM is looking at and saying this is the team for the next five years, um, Cub fans riot. <laughs> Just I gotta say that. But the thing the the thing is, Jock Peterson they only signed him for one year, which is kind of saying to me not necessarily that they're trying to that they're trying to confuse us with a rebuild stage. I think that they're just kind of putting a pin in their rebuild right now. They're probably going to they're probably going to take the field with the same team that we see as of right now. And I think they're going to try to wait to get some more prospects as they get seasoned this next year. I I I feel like Jock Peterson they're not necessarily going to like trade him, but they're just waiting for something else. They're waiting for another piece to emerge cuz I feel like Maybe all the pieces that they want, nobody's willing to trade, or all the good ones have been traded. So they're just kind of holding out hope that they can get it, get in on everything next year, which is kind of a shitty mentality. But when you wait too long, uh, that's kind of all you have to rely on. So I think the only thing reason I think that they might have signed Jock Peterson, especially for the one-year deal, no one else in the Central is really doing anything. Pittsburgh's, you know, Pittsburgh's only going to be competitive if these young guys come up and do amazing, which you won't see. Most likely, you're not going to see 10 guys come up and all of a sudden be superstars. Mm -hmm. Maybe like one, like a Brian Hayes. Um, the Brewers are rumored to be going after people, but they're not really doing anything. Cardinals kind of just staying the way they are. The Reds keep talking about trading away people just to, to save money. Um, so the Cubs could be looking at like, hey, like maybe we could win this year, like one more last hurrah before the division starts to reshape again. Mm -hmm. And we'll get Jack Peterson and with the guys that are here and if it's not working out then we get another piece we can trade to a contender you know for one or two prospects or some cash you know international signing pool money and all that yeah um, i'm waiting for their dreams to be shot down though when the uh arenado trade to the cardinals goes through <laughs> yeah sure no, uh, i know i know it's a long shot but i mean like I just I just want to say it really quick. I know this is the complete wrong show to be talking about the NL Central, but like he goes there, they get rid of Matt Carpenter, who can't throw anymore. He's not all that great of a hitter anymore. He's a fly ball guy, which will help him if he goes to Colorado because you know thin air, you get the ball up, it travels further. Like it just works for him. Plus, then that'd be two of that'd be two of the nastiest hitters and defenders in the corners. You got Arenado throwing a goldie, just crispy man okay i'm done let's get on with the actual show yeah um, so any uh trades or signings that we haven't talked about we'll try to get in the beginning of our next show uh there was a lot so i mean there's a couple we didn't talk about but we'll get to them we'll talk about them eventually you'll if you really love our opinions that much you're gonna hear them soon uh so to the actual show eli start us off with the white Sox, um please. this is my this is my pick this is this, this is my World Series pick right now. I'm like my my dream World Series this for the 2021 season are White Sox Padres. Like that'd be beautiful dream scenario or White Sox Braves. I'm fine with either. So <clears throat> they go out and they get the man from down under Liam Hendricks for three years. And if you guys follow us on Twitter, you would have seen what we tweeted about it with him and the lefty flamethrower from Tennessee, Garrett Crochet. 
who I think those two in baseball are the best righty-lefty reliever combo, just flat out. Because that dude, Crochet, I know he only came up for like 20 games, maybe. But just, oh my god, his flat-out stuff is ridiculous. Because he averages around like 100, 102 miles an hour on his fastball. He comes out of this really weird arm slot, so it just comes in straight at your knees. But then by the time, by the time you think it gets to your knees, it's already strike three. And his slider follows the same slot and then just keeps cutting in. It's just disgusting. And then, of course, you know, Liam Hendricks has been one of the most established, like, dominant closers of the last five years. So those two, back-to-back, just going to be fantastic out of that bullpen, which already has shown is decently beefed, uh, with, especially with young guys. So, um, yeah, that itself is going to be a big key for them this uh, this next season. I think the only other thing that would be real um, beneficial, I don't even know, it's like not even like signing guys. It's just you need more consistency from your young guys like Jimenez and Robert Derek, what do you got? I don't like the I don't I don't I Hendricks uh crochet is very good. I'm not gonna call it the best righty lefty combination though. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in the central. I'm gonna say Williams Hader is the best lefty righty combination. Okay, well the only thing is Josh Hader, as much as he is a high leverage guy, it seems that there's like a tipping point in high leverage situations for him. Like you can put him in with like two runners on, nobody out, and like a three-run ball game, and he'll close it down for you. But if you put him in with like bases juice, two outs, with like the four hitter up, and you guys are down by, and you guys are only up by one, it seems like he'll choke completely every time. I mean, the only thing is, you know, Crochet again has not been in the league very long at all, but he's disgusting. five games. He's, 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 he's only played five games, so like, yeah. for all you know, and plus. I think he's a starter, isn't he? He was a starter with Tennessee, but I think because of their uh, because of their rotation that they have right now, the acquisition of Lance Lynn especially, and how hard he throws, I think that they're going to keep him at um, in a bullpen role for maybe, yeah. maybe a couple years until he proves. I mean, think about Kopech. Kopech is a dude who hit 110 miles an hour one spring training a couple of years back, and they tried to rush him up as a starting pitcher rather than try to give him some time as a reliever, and he blew out his arm immediately. So, I mean, they're probably just seeing, like, this guy could be the next Kopech, but we don't want to kill him yet. I'm just saying, like, if he's going to come up as a reliever, he doesn't have very much mildly experience. He comes up as a reliever, he is a reliever for the rest of his career. Yeah. Maybe he can become a long man, maybe one of those, like, those old-fashioned closers that can pitch three innings mm-hmm. in relief. But I think if the White Sox keep him in the bigs and they don't send him back down to the minors, he's a closer or he's a reliever for the rest of his career. I don't I just don't see them like taking the time midseason to develop his, you know, stint, like his ability to go deep into games. Yeah, and I mean, as much as he might like to be a starting pitcher, I don't know. I'm not in his head. I don't know him. I would like to be personal friends. Garrett Crochet, if you're out there, what's up, homie? Let's go, let's go get a drink sometime. Um I I don't like. I don't know if his dream is to be a starting pitcher, like, or if like he has any reservations about being a reliever. I mean, personally, if I were a reliever, I would be completely content because I'm playing the greatest game of all time for a career. But some guys don't see it that way. Trevor Bauer, um, love that guy, but uh, I have problems with him too. I I don't know. I just I think that you could probably see him 
if if they keep him up and you have that idea of like he's a reliever for life if they keep him up you could probably see him as like the opener every now and then considering he has that starting pitching experience and who knows maybe he'll be a long reliever by then then they'll use him as an opener and oh my god he's pitching four scoreless innings and his pitch count's relatively low let's keep it going hey garrett remember how last week you opened that game for like five scoreless innings and your pitch count was relatively low hey do you want to go for six innings this game like it, uh, who knows it could just be a domino just like you know stepping stones I would like to see more teams uh, develop an opener. Uh, I know a couple teams tried it other than the Rays. Uh, but other signings the White Sox have made, uh, Adam Eaton, one-year deal. Uh, this is another good signing for them because depth in the outfield, like they are not like they'll have now a guy to play in right field, Luis Robert and Elroy Jimenez. Like these are well, that's a good, that's a great outfield. Yep. Like good, it's great hitting, great defensively. It's great, it's great, it's great. I love it. Um, and I'm not a White Sox fan. So the fact that I'm getting excited about this outfield, like, should show you, like, um, how good it will actually be. The thing that really makes the difference for me, we did talk about it. Lance Lynn, to me, is probably the, the, the most important signing they made. Yeah, they got Hendricks. I, Lance Lynn's an underrated man. Like, he is so underrated. The dude, dude's- I was so mad when the Cardinals gave gave him up. I was honestly so mad because he, when he was in St. Louis, he had like bright spots here and there. He had stretches where he was a really dominant pitcher, but overall, he was like maybe like a low four ERA pitcher, and like which for the National League standards is like not great. But like his last season. I want to say he was low threes and high win percentage. And I'm just like, oh my god, please don't give him up. Like he's actually starting to look like an ace now which is something the cardinals have kind of been without for a little bit until jack flaherty has well he's even still a question mark because he had just the one good season so far but lance lane as soon as he went to texas all of a sudden he became like this weird beast that nobody talked about because he was on texas (laughs) like that's he's just an enigma to me yeah i mean the Rangers get two young pitchers in return, but the winner of this trade is the White Sox because mm-hmm. they're getting a guy that can go out and pitch seven innings every start he pitches. Mm-hmm. He does not give up many runs. He does not give up many big runs. Like, the man is a Ray Ace. And, oh, by the way, he gets to pitch behind Lucas Giolito, who is, like, the epitome of the lights-out, flamethrower, perfect game-throwing, you know, guy. He's an ace. Just say it. He's an ace. <laughs> Even though he didn't actually throw a perfect game, he uh, walked to walked to Erica Gonzalez. Anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, let's flex getting no hit. Oh wow, look at Pittsburgh hey, standards. <laughs> there is a lot of there's a lot of uh, players who are who made a career of making sure not to get perfect gamed. Uh, Jose Tabata is the guy. He leaned into the pitch. It was clear. It leaned into shit. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I have a signed photo of Jose Tabata, though. So anyway, so um, the best thing, I, the big thing for me that makes me think that even though the Rangers got two really good young players, like the thing that makes the White Sox the winner here is the White Sox have made it clear they want to win now. They are hungry. Even their young guys are – like Luis Robert is ready to win. He's a disgusting outfielder. He's so good. Also, he has an incredible nickname, La Pantera. Incredible. Like, Elo Jimenez already has a silver slugger. Tim Anderson just deserves awards simply because of that one bat flip against Kansas City. Yohan Moncada has, like, sneakily become the prospect that everyone thought he was going to be. Like, 
his first year or two, he wasn't at that level, but all of a sudden he's starting to play like a premium third baseman. Jose Abreu deserves everything in the world because he's just an incredible human being as well as a baseball player. So like, they're ready. They're ready to win. They deserve it. Lance Lynn is probably one of, like Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks, I think are like two big pieces that'll help get them over that hump as long as they stay consistently good. <laughs> Don't even forget, like Nick Madrigal is a highly respected second base prospect. So mm-hmm. he is expected to be dominant in the majors too i really like luis robert and i think of the guys on this team he's the one with the highest ceiling like jimenez and tim anderson are going to be great players but i just feel like at the end of the the decade it's going to be luis robert it's going to be the one guy from this team that everyone's like oh damn like do you remember when he was young five tool player that's Um, it i mean like tim anderson's pretty close but i feel like he's missing a little bit on defense and his power is like really spotty Jimenez has like barely he doesn't he's not like slow but he's not all that fast and his defense is kind of like there's stuff left to be desired but Robert's got everything he's got an incredible he's got incredible hands like he's got a great bat he's got like a ridiculous amount of power like what was it a 487 foot shot in Oakland it was ridiculous and he had a big monster shot in the playoffs Plus, he's just extremely fast. Like, out of, I don't know if you've seen this highlight reels, but, like, there's some plays that people dive for that he's just, like, nonchalantly walking to in the outfield. It's ridiculous. Dude ra- dude ran 120 feet to casually catch one in mid-left field. Oh, he was playing in center. Dude ran all the crest across the diamond just to casually standing up catch a fly ball that would have been 20 feet for Jimenez to walk over and catch. So, that, which begs the question... Does that mean that Robert is fast or Jimenez is that much of a butcher in the outfield? <laughs> Both. Uh, so the last thing, the what do, like, what do the White Sox need? Like, because I don't think they're done yet. They need I, a D. They need a DH or a first baseman and have Hebreu DH. Um, I would love it if Andrew Vaughn came up, but I don't see that happening considering he was drafted not too long ago. But yeah, I really I think they need maybe like an extra outfielder just in case Adam Eaton needs a little bit of old man time. Um, I would say to, yeah, probably a first baseman would even be better considering Abreu's not the greatest defender. Um, but I don't, I don't know. They're, it's hard to, to see who else they could go out and get because it's weird. Like they don't need another big name. They need just a guy. They just need a kind of a like a like a filler. They don't need anybody huge because they have enough stars to get them to where they need to be. They just need a person to fill it. They, they, they just have a spot that happens to be open is really all it is. I mean, if they really want to and they want to get trade, I don't know how willing Pittsburgh would be letting let go Colin Moran, but that is a man who has a power hitter. He can play first base. <laughs> um, but you have to give, you probably have to give up some names for him because like I said now with Josh Bell gone like Colin Moran's the starter mm-hmm. uh other guys I could think see going like Todd Frazier like yeah they're big names but they're guys that are a little past Mitch Moreland I think would be a great fit for them because he could take he's a good defensive first baseman a good left-handed power bat and then if they really want to stick it to the twins uh the other team that I think is the like the favorite for this division you steal Nelson Cruz uh there's your fourth outfielder uh when Eaton needs old man time, you could just throw the even older Nelson Cruz out in right field. Nelson Nelson Cruz's time in the outfield is over, um, and it should have been over a long time ago, but it is officially over now. That dude, like, 
2011 should have been like a sign that he should never have ever stepped in the outfield. <laughs> but you know, the the Rangers needed the bat. Uh, I think the only other thing would be um, Marcelo Zuna. I mean, even too like you could get Michael Franco pretty cheap. The Royal he did well with the Royals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he the power like it took him a little spit to get like without no spring training to get going. But once he, you know, once he got going, he was an everyday offensive threat. And you don't need him to play third base because you have Moncada. So Michael Franco would be a great DH for the White Sox. Honestly, I like your Ozuna thing because he's not he's not signed by anybody yet. He had a fantastic offensive season. Everybody knows he's not that great on defense, so you wouldn't really be losing anything by using him at just DH. But he's not like a catastrophically terrible defender so if you needed to put him out there for eden's old man time like go for it yeah no i didn't think about that i like that idea yeah um you hear you heard it here first marcelo zuna is signing with the uh 2020 world series champion uh chicago white Sox. um and i think that's a good way to end it uh let's go on they're not let's go on to cleveland not my not my world series champions anyway uh so yeah the the indians or yeah, I mean the team maybe, soon I mean, to be formerly known as the Indians. <laughs> Cleveland, the former Indians. So Eli, can they still win the no. division without Lindor Carrasco? No, no. okay, just no. <laughs> okay, so the thing is, it's not just Lindor and Carrasco. They have holes all over the place. Their outfield is less than solid. They don't really like. They now the only like solid people they have on the infield are Ramirez and the best second baseman in baseball, Cesar Hernandez. Um, Plus, I mean, okay, they're like the Rays when it comes to their pitching. They just randomly pull these guys out of their asses who are just like, who the hell are they? Like, okay, um, Tristan McKenzie. Like, he looks like a green bean put on a a baseball outfit and just decided let's play some games. And he throws 100 miles an hour with one of the nastiest change-ups in baseball. Like, where do these guys come from? I don't understand it. And like you're like we were all worried, or not we, but like you know, Cleveland fans were worried about when they got rid of Kluber and like didn't want to resign him. They're like, oh my god, what is gonna happen to us? Like Shane Bieber. There, there's your answer. Where did he come from? Who knows? Who cares? He's he's a triple crown winner. Um like as much as they lost Carrasco, I think their pitching is gonna be fine just because of history, but their offense. Their offenses. <laughs> their offense could be fine though. I mean, you got they got Perez, they got Ramirez. Jordan Luplo could all of a sudden be like he has glimpses of power. Mm-hmm. He's a great outfield arm. I don't know. It's just like the the Indians are one of those teams that just kind of like they're like the Cardinals. No matter what happens, for some reason they're going to always be competing, and it's just annoying as hell because you're like, why? Like you get rid of everybody, you're still good. They lost Andrew Miller, and it didn't matter because they have bullpen pieces. They just kind of pull out of nowhere. I just think that right now they have too many gaps in their lineup. Like they don't have a solid center fielder right now because um, I mean they didn't. I believe they didn't re-sign Delano to Shields, or I could be wrong. No, they did not. Okay. So, like, uh, Oscar Mercado is probably going to be, like, their future face of the franchise. He has that potential. He just does not have the consistency quite yet. 
um, which they desperately need because right now the only kind of consistency they have is Jose Ramirez. And if you remember, Jose Ramirez two years ago was very inconsistent. Like he had the season where he led the league in doubles and then he was trash for half the year. And then all of a sudden decided to turn it on. So like if he is your staple of consistency, that's a problem. <laughs> so I think the biggest need for the Indians, definitely first base because they lost Santana. Carlos Santana signed with the Royals. And he was a really early signing too. Mm-hmm. or at least in December. So they're going to need to get somebody or call somebody up. And I think if they want to get somebody, the free agent options, Danny Santana, he's played for the Rangers. I mean, we already talked about Mitch Moreland. CJ Crone wouldn't be a bad no. fit. I don't think in Cleveland, like left-handed hitter in uh, in the progressive field would be uh, good. If they wanted to trade a couple guys that I think that you could, might be able to convince teams to give up for a couple good, you know, prospects, Colin Moran, Brandon Belt and Christian Walker could all be on the move. And I think Christian Walker is most interesting because it's a young guy to match with the fact that they're going to have Bieber and McKenzie for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way the Diamondbacks are, I have no idea what's happening with them. So they might be willing to give up a young first baseman that, you know, in exchange for younger guys than the, still in the minors. Yeah. I think um, what you could see even right now is Fran Mill Reyes get some time at first base because he's a bat that you need in that lineup, but sticking him in the outfield is a stupid mistake. <laughs> like the, the he's he's got a great bat, like I said, but he cannot play the outfield at all. He's too slow. His arm may be strong, but it is extremely inaccurate. He can't track down a fly ball. He He's, he's just a big dude with a big bat. So basically that just means he's either default a DH or first baseman. Yeah, I mean, the only other person that could probably play first base just looking at this team, maybe if they move Ramirez over or if they move Perez to first base. No, 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 no. He's a he's he didn't he win the platinum glove like two years two three years ago? You can't. Oh, Perez is a great catcher, but I mean, the, the, yeah. just thinking of guys who like the easiest positions to transfer to first base are catcher and third base. Yeah, but uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna transfer one of those guys, then the best decision would probably be Ramirez, considering you have a top third base prospect in your system ready to come up in Nolan Jones. So. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe even he goes to first base. Who knows? But one of those guys is going. If you move Roberto Perez from behind the plate, that is a stupid decision, and you're stupid for thinking it, Derek. You're stupid. Look, I'm just trying. I'm just saying, like it's it's what happens to a lot of catchers to get longevity out of their career. You move them to first base. It'd be it'd be stupid to do it a guy this young who yeah, would. That's who, the thing. But I'm just saying, like, teams have shot the ideas before. I and mean, we've seen Buster Posey play first countless times, which is okay, why I think thing. Brandon Bell could be on the move because you have Flores, uh, Brandon Bell, and Buster Posey who can all play first base. One of them's going to have to move eventually. The thing is, though, with Buster Posey, it makes sense for them to try to move him considering he's been beaten up behind the plate. Like, there's a rule in baseball because of what happened to him at one point. So his health has always been a question mark. Roberto Perez has no question marks. The only question mark with Roberto Perez is will his offense ever be consistent? That's it. Because his defense is – he's the best defensive catcher in baseball. Like it's That's just a flat-out fact. Like, he's – ridiculously good behind the plate. The only other guy I can think who rivals him on defense is probably Christian Vasquez. Christian Vasquez is a nice catcher. 
Yeah, but he's way too young to start trying to move him over to first base, and he's way too healthy too. Like, I yeah, just, I mean, I see what you're saying. I, I just can't see that happening. I it shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, Eli, do you think the Cleveland rebuild's happening soon? Yeah, I think we're I think we're seeing the beginning of it. I think um, if this season they finished third, like, but with like a big gap between. Uh, second and third, or if or if the White Sox run away with the division completely, um, I think you're going to see them just call it and be like, all right, that's it, rebuild time, because they're on the cusp right now where, like, one big acquisition could make them a potential contender, but I just don't think that they have the pieces right now to merit that. I don't think that, like, because you're not going to win a World Series this year. Like, no matter who you go out and pick up, they are not winning a World Series. So I think it's probably just in their best interest to just call it and just start rebuilding, which sucks because, again, their pitching is ridiculous and you would just be wasting some really good, talented pitchers. See, I, I'm I'm hesitant to fully commit to the rebuild this year, even even if saying, like, I, I'm sure I'll give you the idea, like, if they finish terrible at the end of the year, they're in like fourth, third, and it's just wasn't even close. Yeah, you can entertain the idea for next year, but I don't see at the trade deadline them looking to ship guys like Ramirez or because that would be the only guy I think would really get would go would be the familiar would really be uh, Reyes or Ramirez. I think you would see go at the trade deadline if they really are going to rebuild. But I think the rebuild is going to depend on how quickly Tristan McKenzie becomes the next guy because that's what Cleveland's always relied on you know one and a two it was Kluber and Carrasco and then it was or it was uh, then it was Clevenger and Bieber and then you know you know all the so they keep trading the guys so as long as they have Bieber and you know McKenzie and Savelle and Plesac are at least decent they can contend so I don't see the rebuild happening too soon but I definitely think in the next three years Cleveland might have to re like you know readdress some of the situations and what what they're doing just the very fact of the future's kind of question marky yeah, yeah. I, I just i just don't see a way that like unless they bring up a crap ton of prospects and they become like a ridiculously good young team i just don't see how their offense the way it is currently can survive I really don't, especially especially now that your biggest division rival in the White Sox just got more pitching to add, like, and they're going to get more pitching when Kopech comes back and if Dylan Cease can finally, like, nail down some consistency. Like, they're just going to be, like, too hard to beat offense, like, uh, like, in terms of pitching. Like, no matter who you throw up against it, I know it kind of is double back, me doubling back on what I said about the Phillies, but... You do need some people who who can outslug some great pitchers. I just don't think that they have that right now. Yeah, the only really guy is Jose Ramirez. I mean, they got Jimenez and Rosario from the Mets in the Lindor trade, but those aren't those are defensive guys. Those are not offensive juggernauts that are going to run away with the to help you run away the division or even stay toe to toe with the team that's going to run with the division. Or and with the with the Twins being a wild card favorite, and you have. The loaded NL East being full of wild card potential teams, like it's going to be hard for Cleveland to be competitive, and I think they're going to see themselves on the uh, outside of the the playoff picture, trying to fight their way in, like they've had the last couple of years. I think last year they won the they won the wild card last year, didn't they? 
Uh, yeah, the White Sox. The White Sox were like the worst division. No, wait, no, they hold up. I thought Cleveland made the wild Cleveland. card. No, Cleveland. No, Cleveland won the division, didn't they? Because they had home field advantage against the Yankees, and the White Sox had to play at Oakland. Yeah, and the Twins won the first wild card spot because they went up against era uh, the Astros. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Cleveland won the division. The White Sox finished third in the okay. Yeah, it was White Sox or it was um Indians, Twins, White Sox. That's how it was. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see. Confusing. I mean, the bright spot of, of Cleveland is they have a rookie of the year candidate, Tristan McKenzie. He has yeah. not exceeded rookie limits. In case you don't know, the 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 ruling is you need to play like less than 25. I think it's like less than 45 days on a May active major league roster, less than a hundred at bats and less than 25 innings pitched. Uh, Tristan McKenzie only pitched like eight games. So he didn't get, he got close, but he didn't exceed his rookie status. So he could very, so he's a contender for the rookie of the year. Which reminds me, I know I said last podcast that my candidate for AL rookie of the year was in the West. So it turns out that he met one of the requirements, but not the other. But because he met one, that means he's no longer eligible. And that is Jared Walsh, which I'm very upset about because he was really starting to heat up. But then they just played him for a little bit too long. And he got, I think it was he hit the plate appearance limit or something like that. I think he met the game time limit. I think yeah. he was on, he was like, he didn't start the season as a starter. He was like a bench guy. So he, he didn't meet, I don't think he met the plate appearance or a lim- like the limit. But he was on the major league roster for like forty-five days. Yeah. I think that's what, why he ended up getting, you know, losing his eligibility. But and now he just have to win a silver slugger to make it up to you, right? Yeah, I have to win a silver slugger and a gold glove in the World Series, and we'll be, we'll call it even. Um, anyway, uh, let's go on to the team that is confusing me to the highest end, uh, the Twins. Now I say they're confusing me because they've done very little this offseason, but they still feel like a threat because, okay, so they lose the big cheating power bat of Nelson Cruz. Um, yeah, um, in case you forgot, Nelson Cruz cheated. I'll make sure that nobody forgets that. I think he actually got caught twice. I think it was like once with Baltimore. I think it was once with Texas and then again with Baltimore. So um, there you go. He's uh, an eligible for the Hall of Fame by Derek's standards. Um <laughs> Also, he's just not that great. Anyway, back to the actual twins. They go out and they sign J.A. Happ to a one-year deal to go, who's a pretty decent established lefty to go along with uh, Kenta Maeda, another established lefty in Rich Hill. And um, who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, Jose Barrios. That was the guy I couldn't remember. So that's a pretty decent four-man rotation. And I know we have Michael Pineda down here. I just have no opinion on Michael Pineda. I really don't. He's just a blob to me. He's just an amorphous blob of gray. Um, So I'm just going to ignore him for now. But offensively, they have Josh Donaldson um, hopefully coming back healthy this next year to go go back, play third base. He's always been a great defender. Uh, His offense last couple years has been kind of spotty, but health issues. Is he going to be able to pick up the slack that Nelson Cruz, if they don't resign him, is going to be leaving. Like, what do you what do you what do you think about that? Do you think Josh Donaldson healthy can make up for Nelson Cruz? 
Yeah, I think so. I think a healthy Josh Donaldson is one of the best power hitters in the game. I will say this, uh, Eli, you've done it again. Uh, Rich Hill is a free agent. Son of a bitch. Uh, again, you're naming guys that actually aren't on the team as part of the team. I mean, at least I pronounced their names pr- correctly. Okay, so I only do it. So I only mess it up sometimes. You called but him Elroy Jimenez today. <laughs> What's the what? It? You called him Elroy Jimenez. I just didn't have the heart to. Oh, it's Eloy, isn't it? Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's not some. So he's reading. not some. Fun I'm bad at Nebraska. reading, not pronunciating. Okay. <laughs> I skim read. I can't read correctly. Anyway, I think the Twins should trade for Luis Castillo. So I think the Twins should trade for Luis Castillo. And, like, to me, if they really want to compete with everything the White Sox have done, they need to just get that one last piece of just, like, puts them over the top. And if you have a rotation that's Maeda, Barrios, Castillo, and then Hap, and then, like, and then Pineda, Dobnek, or Smeltzer, and the five... It's a much better rotation. And, I mean, the Reds have made it clear they're looking to trade him because they want to clear up the money. And I think the Twins have just enough prospect cap uh, capital that they could send good guys back to get a good trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it working for them. I don't, I don't know what it is about the Twins. Like, I would love to see them succeed, but for some reason I also love it when they fail. Um, they just need to win one playoff game. They haven't won a playoff game so long. That's that's the thing is like I desperately want them to win, but it's just so funny to see them lose in the playoffs. <laughs> I just know it's like one literally one playoff game. I don't even care about the series. I don't think they've won a playoff game in like decades. Yeah, I know. I, I'm pretty sure that's it. What? Did they wait? No, did they get did they get swept by Houston this year? I forgot. I thought they won one. No, nah, I think they got they got swept by Houston, I'm pretty sure. Damn. Oh yeah, because I think every I think all the AL game. Okay, never mind. I'm talking out of my ass. Um, I mean, if we're wrong, we're wrong. But I'm pretty sure they haven't won a playoff game in decades. Definitely haven't won a series in a while. But um, we're just gonna ignore that. But anyway, their offense. Like I know I was talking about Josh Donaldson a bunch because he's one of the biggest pieces that needs to, you know, start producing, start being you know, the level that they're paying for. But they go out and they get Angleton Simmons, who is probably one of the best defensive shortstops in the history of baseball. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna make a very bold claim there. History of baseball, Angleton Simmons is a top five. Um, come at me. So they have him up the middle with potentially Polanco or the best contact hitter in baseball, Luis Arias. Um, I think... And I think Angelton Simmons, too, is such an underrated contact hitter because he spent time in um, – he's like he spent time in Atlanta where he was like a pretty decent hitter, but he was way, way more known for his defense, and he carried that with him to L.A. But you got to remember, in L.A., he's got guys in the clubhouse that he can learn from so with, you know, like small names like Albert Pujols and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon for that one miniature season that we had this last year. And he's become a much better offensive player. He can even hit for a tad bit of power too, but he like he's better situationally. He can spray the ball, which is something that Luis Arias can do too. So like these guys together, those are two guys who if you put at the top of your order, you're gonna have you're gonna almost guaranteed start the game off with at least one person on base for the newfound power hitter Byron Buxton to come up and drive him in, or Josh Donaldson to come up, or Miguel. Like, they just have endless weapons to just, like, kick off the game and just, like, get ahead early, which is going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially, like, this is a beefy infield now. 
Yeah, I mean, Simmons hitting had improved the last couple of years. You started to see the average get more consistently of hitting above around 250, um, especially with a big outfield like Minnesota has. He hits a gap. His speed is a double. Like, you mm -hmm. know, but the, to me, like, you have a, a Roz and then you have Simmons. Like, that's a great one, too, to start a lineup for. Um, Arias. I just want to, I just want to. Arias? Oh, I know. I knew I was going to mess it up. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think once you see Arias become a more everyday player, because um, he really kind of lost a lot of time to Polanco and somehow Marwin Gonzalez. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like, I have, I, I don't hate Marwin Gonzalez. I just am confused why you have literally the best contact hitter in baseball. Like, if you look it up, he had the highest ball and play rate and lowest swing and miss rate in baseball the last two years. So why are you putting a aging utility man in his spot? <laughs> the only thing is because he was young, unproven. And they're paying that much money for Marvin Gonzalez. So you might they, well they paid a lot of money for Marvin Gonzalez, and you're not going to start an unproven guy over a veteran you're paying up the wazoo for. Yeah, um, you're not going to you're not going to put him over Eddie Rosario in left field too. So you got to throw him somewhere. Yeah. So, but I think now that uh, I think now that Luis has made himself known as this kind of content creator because he's he's hit what three thirty one the last two years. Yeah. So the dude can hit and. The more he hits, the more it works for the Twins. Mm -hmm. Like, he may not be a slugging – like, he's not at all a power hitter. Like, his, he slugged, what, only a 402? So, think about this, though. He slugged 402 with a 400 on base percentage. Like, Major League average for OPS is, like, 750, I think, somewhere around there. This dude is, this dude is getting half of that off of just hits and walks alone, like – that's just a weapon that you like this is this is a guy billy bean probably salivates over <laughs> he probably wants him bad like not even to just help his team he just wants him because sabermetrics says he's great you know what he kind of reminds me of hmm. another left-handed hit out left-handed hitting contact hitter um there are a lot of them in baseball you're gonna have to be more specific. Uh, played recently played in san diego man why is my brain failing me well, since your brain's failing you, I'm just going to tell you it's Tony Gwynn. Uh, that's what I was thinking, but I was like, there's no way you're going to compare Luis Arias to Tony Gwynn. <laughs> like, I compared him to Tony Gwynn. I, like, when I watch him play, I see a guy that looks to put the ball in play and looks to pit the ball where it's pitched. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what Luis Arias is doing. I And I do like that. I just think we should wait a little bit before we compare him to Tony that's Gwynn. Fine. I'll bring it up again next year when he has another 300 season. Okay, uh, okay. If he has another 300 season, and if he's a consistent player, fine. I'll, be, I'll compare him to Ichiro then. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> no one is like Ichiro. He is the greatest fine. power hitter. He's the greatest power hitter. Of, Ichiro is the greatest power hitter of all time. That is true. Barry Bonds once said if he could pick any player to represent him in a home run derby, he'd pick Ichiro. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to shout out Foolish Baseball here. There's a video on on their on Foolish Baseball's channel about Ichiro being a secret power hitter, and I am 100% convinced. Because, like, every situation that called for a home run, he did it without fail every time. Anyway, yeah. um, let's uh, let's wrap up the Twins here. What else we got? Um, I think – I just want to talk about, like, what do the Twins really need? And I feel like they really need bullpen and DH. They need to, they need to replace Cruz. They can't just... If they don't resign him. 
Yeah, what? I said if they don't re-sign him. Um, if they don't if they don't re-sign Cruz, uh, they need to replace him. And so uh, we talked about him already. Mitch Moreland would be a good, you know, fit for a DH, play first base, and then you could put Sano as the uh, the DH, which I think he would excel at. Yes. I'm not sure. I'm, I have hesitations about his defensive ability. But I would really think it's interesting. Again, I don't know why I want the Twins to really trade for somebody. Trade for Joey Gallo. Hmm. Rangers are looking to – the Rangers are kind of selling. They already got rid of Lance Lynn. You're going to have to pay up for him, I think, more than you would have to pay up for Castillo. Um, but I think Joey Gallo would be a great fit in Minnesota. His power number would go down, but his I think his doubles and stuff would go up. Which, honestly, I think is a pretty good trade because – isn't, I don't know if he's the only player in MLB history, but he's the only player that I can name who hit 100 career home runs before 100 career base hits. And pretty, he's the only player. He's, like, the only player. That's what I thought. So Nobody's ever done that before. It's so much power, but he cannot make enough contact to get base hits. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, w- I would say maybe, uh, like, seeing an increase in his average wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> you know, seeing him go from, like, a... 210 hitter who hits 40 home runs a season to being somebody who hits maybe 30 home runs a season but hits 250 like i i I think that's a pretty decent trade because you got you know the more times you get on base i don't know if you've noticed the more times you get on base the more opportunities there are to score runs so you know yes life lesson we learned again another reference to billy bean and Moneyball. (laughs) (laughs) man what Um, billy bean really he he really had it right (laughs) he did uh, so the like, bullpen pieces they could get, I would, I mean, Brendan Workman, the Red Sox pitcher, I think he could be a good fit in, uh, Minnesota, especially since they have a closer and they have a couple guys that, you know, could set up. So if they're going to go and get somebody, they should get somebody who can kind of pitch the seventh because they have the eight mm-hmm. and the ninth. So Workman, um, I think Mark Melanson would be a good guy to get. You know, maybe one last hurrah for Mark. Try to like win a team or win a like World Series with the team. Yeah, um, I really think that they just need the one piece. Um, it's kind of weird to say, but like uh, losing Trevor May, I think really just like that. That's the thing. Like they lost a guy who has been pretty solid. Um, again, I, I think we said it before, but his numbers don't show the kind of pitcher he is because. They throw him in a lot of high leverage situations and he excels at it. But you know, you get you give up one hit in one high leverage situation and your numbers get absolutely shit on. It's like, but he's he's a great pitcher. The Mets are lucky to have him, but of course, then the twins that mean now like that now means you have an opening that you just need the one guy for to like help out Rogers a little bit. You just need the one dude to, to get him over that crest. And yeah, I think. Workman, since he's never been like an established closer, but he is a very good relief pitcher. I honestly think, yeah, that could probably be their best, their best bet right now. Because that's the thing, like you don't want to have too many guys fighting for the closing role. Like if you get Ozuna or Giles, like then they're gonna be all at Rogers, like trying to fight over the same role. And like it's it's useless. Like why? Yeah, just kind of let your young closer establish himself as a closer. Like, there's no reason to bring in competition when you don't need to. Um, so let's move on to the Tigers. Uh, the first real big move they did is they went out and hired A.J. Hinch to be their manager. So uh, somebody keep a close eye on those trash cans in Detroit. All right, bang, guys? Bang. Just <laughs> um, But anyway, other than that whole fiasco, he's a good manager. 
Uh, he got them to the playoffs before they cheated, and I expect him to do good things with the Tigers. I think this is the Tigers saying, hey, we're going to be good in a couple of years, so let's get ready to be good in a couple of years. Uh, they went out and signed Robbie Grossman to a two-year deal. I think this is a great signing for Robbie Grossman because he's playing. Not yep. sure if it's good for Detroit because what if it's just kind of wasting Robbie Grossman. I don't think it's really wasting Robbie Grossman. I don't think that he's the kind of player who's like I, – I honestly don't even know if he's all-star caliber. He could be. He had a really good season uh, this past year with Oakland. He, was, I believe, led their team in OPS. Um, if he And if he didn't, he was right behind Sean Murphy because I think they were their two best hitters. But he's finally starting to break out a little bit. He's starting to excel as a hitter. Like, he's always been decent, but – I think it's actually kind of good for him because he's always gone to teams where even though he's a solid player, every team has names ahead of him. So he hasn't been able to like establish himself because he's getting put behind all these people. But here you're hitting with Miguel Cabrera, who is no who is not the monstrous threat that won the triple crown like in 2013 or whenever he did won it. And I, I, their best hitter, I believe, is um, Jimer Candelario. Like that, the, you finally have a chance, like to just kind of excel as a as a player, like not just through name recognition, because like I mean, it does feel good for people to know who you are. Probably like if somebody's like, "Oh my God, I'm getting to see this guy play," it probably boosts your confidence a little bit, and you hit play a little bit better. So, but not only that, he's always been solid. So I'm like, I don't know, it'll just kind of boost him a little bit. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like this is a good signing just because there's not pressure. I will say this too. Like it very well could be a good signing for the Detroit too, because two years, a couple more guys come up. Maybe they're back in the thick of it. Maybe they're back with fighting for a wild card spot. I mean, two guys that are about to come up that are potential rookie of the year candidates who both made appearances last year. Uh, of course, Casey Mize and uh, Daz Cameron. Do you know who Daz Cameron is, Eli? I do know Daz Cameron. Um, he is the bane of my existence in MLB The Show whenever I play the Tigers. He's the one dude I can never get out. Because he's the son of Hall of Famer, or not Hall of Famer, of uh, Mike Cameron. I don't know why I said Hall of Famer. I think I mean former Brewer, Mike Cameron. Uh, he played for the Brewers, right? I don't know. I remember him for the White Sox and for the uh, Mariners. Fairly confident he played for the Brewers. I don't know why I just remember watching Mike Cameron destroy the Pirates. Uh, whenever I would go see games in Milwaukee. I just remember his um, – he hit a home run in the first four innings of a, a game against – I think it was against the White Sox. I think it was, like, after he got traded and after he took over for Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, as, the, as the Mariners' starting center fielder. He had four home runs in the first four innings. He did play for Milwaukee in 2008 to 2009. I was correct. Weird guys who, like, if you, if you watched him play, you remember how good he was but he'll never be like a baseball trivia question to answer. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, the four home round one. Daz Cameron is the number seven overall prospect for Detroit. Casey Mize, their former uh, first overall pick in 2018, is their number two prospect. Both showed glimpses of what their potential is, and I could see both just dominating the game very soon. But it's the matter of, you know, is the rebuild with them or behind them? Uh, I feel like, I feel like they're like, they're a stubborn child who won't go to bed. 
Like they have to be in a rebuild mode right now. They don't have any pieces that are good enough to like merit um, trying to get bigger guys and fight for a playoff spot. They don't. They're not that team. But they don't seem to have a full commitment to the rebuild, I, which I don't understand because you have to be at this point. You right now the right now they're at the bottom of the division and they really can't sink much lower. They they really need to just fully embrace it and try to go out and get guys. And hopefully all these prospects that we see are going to be, you know, like they're going to bode well for the future. Like they're going to try to get more guys to follow up. Like, like each year they have a new um, top prospect come in. But I don't, I don't know. They just seem to be reluctant to get into that mentality, which is frustrating because <laughs> – I want every team to succeed except for the Yankees and Dodgers at some point during my lifetime. I would love to see like 28 different World Series winners. I mean, I, I say that even though the Yankees and Dodgers have already won their World Series. So in my lifetime, I can, uh, I guess I can't really, can't really crop them out of my memory, can I? No, I mean, like, I agree. Like, the rebuild, especially with the guys they have coming soon. Like, Michael Fulmer never really panned out. Matthew Boyd has been a, inconsistent. And they just have guys that if they don't commit to the rebuild now, they're not going to be there when they when they actually, like, need, like, you know what I mean? You don't want to all of a sudden, two, four years down the line, being like, we have the most dominant center fielder in the game. We have the most dominant starting pitcher. But everyone all, we're, like, still finishing in fourth place because we didn't, we didn't risk, we, like, we didn't, like, when we were in the cellar, we didn't take the opportunity to get, better for the future yeah um I would even argue that Nicholas Castellanos was a victim of that um he he wasn't the best defensive player but I mean as we saw when he got traded to the Cubs and after my god he can hit like he's so good out there and like all he needed was somebody around him anybody to just help him but nope they got rid of JD Martinez um I know that they didn't do anything to Miguel Cabrera Miguel Cabrera just kind of stopped hitting um and they got rid of James McCann, who I will forever defend, and I think is an extremely underrated player and catcher. Like, they just, they got rid of everything, and, like, there was no reason for Castellanos to waste any more of his time there. I mean, they have some good players. Like, it definitely said Candelario is probably the best hitter on the team right now. Nico Goodrum could very well become one of the great hitters, but these guys are not going to be there when Detroit finally makes that run back to the division top. Nope. And if they're not careful... Like, I'm just going to keep saying it, Cameron and Mize won't be either. And this is what Pittsburgh kept running into. And like, look at all the guys that Pittsburgh had at one point. You know, Marte, uh, Cole, Tyon, Glasnow, Meadows. Well, those guys, they never they never committed fully to the rebuild, so it doesn't matter if they had one great guy because they didn't have – they weren't able to get them all at the same time, which is why I'm glad they're just prospect hoarding now because when they finally do start to rebuild around – uh, Reynolds and Hayes and Keller, they're going to have guys to match them. So the only other question I have about Miguel Cabrera, about the Tigers is, is Miguel Cabrera retiring soon? Uh, he has to. I mean, I, I hate to say it because he's one of those guys where you grew up watching him and idolizing him, like, especially for us. Like, we were, we were impressionable young children when Miguel Cabrera was tearing up the league. But now he's... He, he has to retire because as much as we idolized him growing up, because, like, you know, he hit the triple crown and almost two triple crowns had it not been for 
the biggest waste of money in the world, Chris Davis. Like he hit, he hit that when I was like before I could drive. So like, of course, that was when I was idolizing players and like looking up, and I was like, "Hey, Miguel." So like, it sucks because he's having the most lackluster end to a career that you possibly could. But he's so close to two milestones that like I feel like he has to stick around. And as soon as he hits them, he'll retire. Like he'll probably hit um, his 500th home run before his 3,000th hit, but he'll get both. And as soon as he gets his 3,000th hit, he's he's done. He's retiring. <laughs> like he yeah, might not I mean, on the note. Definitely, I think it definitely if he has both before the end of the year, I think he could retire midseason. It's not unusual for guys to do that, especially on a team that's not going anywhere. I don't think he'll hit 134 hits in one season, though. I think you don't think he's going to get to 134 in one season. Well, I mean, if he does, he'll get there by like September or late August. But in which case, it's probably only a couple more games, so might as well finish it exactly. out. I mean, he definitely. I think if he if he's if he's even close to 3,000 by the end of the year, like if he's in 15, he's going to play one more Absolutely. year, just one more yeah, month he's, he's... to get that last. So you can't be that close and call it a career and like, like I don't, I don't know. It's just something about it. Like if it were me personally, I would hate myself if I had if I was at like, um, twenty nine, like seventy something. If I was like thirty hits away, I would just be so pissed if I had to retire. <laughs> well, it was like Kinsler retired with like one hit away from two thousand. Yeah, but two thousand's like, come on, it's three thousand, man. It's not. It's not. I mean, there's a big there's a big difference between three thousand two thousand, but it was always just like. He didn't want to play one more game to get that last hit. Like, yeah. come on. Plus, plus Ian Kinsler, I don't, I don't know. Maybe Ian Kinsler was just, like, tired of – we, we never know what's going on with these guys. There's always stuff behind the curtains that we don't know about. So maybe he was just kind of – I'm sure it was the fact, too, like, there was a lot of second base – he seemed like every time he became a free agent, there was a lot of second base free agents, and it was seemed like he always kept getting low-balled. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if even if he was on, on his way out in his career, he was still a solid second baseman to have. Like, he's always been a great defender. So, I don't know. Feel I, I just I kind of feel bad for him because like yeah like he, he just kept getting low ball like it just happens though you know guys come along and they're just good as hell can't do anything about it yeah so let's move on to the team that I think could make a surprise run for the division Eli not the Kansas City Royals no, it's just they have hitters and they have some pitching that's on its just way stop I mean. You can say this all you want, but I could see Kansas City all of a sudden being that team that just annoys the crap out of everybody by doing what it did back in 2013, 2014, and all of a sudden became good out of nowhere because, you know, why not? They will finish at the highest third in the division, and that is it. Could have been a wild card at third. It's happened before. Yeah, but they're not going to be because there's plenty of other teams this year who have made big enough moves to where they need to make runs. Kansas City's made moves. Let's talk about yeah. it. Uh, they signed Michael A. Taylor to a one-year deal. You know why I like this? Because it gives them more speed in the outfield. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm like, call Michael A. Taylor's going to hit in front of Solaire. He's going to hit in front of the other guy they signed to a two-year deal, which was Carlos Santana. You see, here's the thing. I'm caught in the middle here between wanting to look at this from uh, an objective opinion, like, you know, middle ground kind of way. And I'm I'm caught between that and just I really want to put you down about this because <laughs> because you know that I you you know there's there's what there's merit to what I'm saying yeah no Kansas City made the moves and they have the hitters I mean Perez a good good's a good catcher good power hitter 
Uh, Whit Merrifield is a great contact hitter and a great defensive player. I just, they have pieces to make the run. They have they have pieces. I just don't. Mm. Okay. No, I, I will say that it's going to take some of their starters are going to need to pen out. I mean, you need Brad Keller and Brady Singer to do what the, what they've been expected to do. Yeah. You also need Michael A. Taylor to be – I mean, think about it. He, he, has, he has potential. He had about the same potential that Victor Robles did, and yet he still lost his spot to Victor Robles. Like, No, I would say Victor Robles. I mean, Michael A. Taylor coming up was always the defensive center fielder. I think, I think Victor Robles is at least expected to be – at least a, a defense offense parallel guy. Um, yeah, but Taylor even proved he could still he could hit a little bit still. Honestly, they're like I mean I know Robles is now like the big center fielder for the Nationals, but for a while there, he and Michael A. Taylor were almost interchangeable, almost, almost. I mean, I like the deal for Taylor because it gives him a chance to show off his defense in a big outfield. It gives him a chance to show off his base stealing ability. Um, in a division that has a lot of strong-armed catchers, you know, if you can steal against Roberto Perez, you can steal against anybody. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but, like, and it's not just hitting they've added. They added bullpen pieces by going out and getting two World Series champions in Greg Holland and Wade Davis. I think you mean reacquiring because they where did both of those guys win the World Series? That's my Eddie. point, Eli. They're bringing back the magic. Yeah, but I the three-headed like... monster that one of the three is now pitching for the White Sox. Okay, but, but here's the thing. I feel like, wait, who was the third one? It was her. It was Herrera. Oh, yeah, Kelvin Herrera. Kelvin Herrera. All right. Anyway, um, I just, I feel like we're getting dangerously close to Tom Thibodeau when he became the coach for the uh for the Timberwolves, um. Derek, I'm don't, I'm, I don't think I've ever talked basketball with you, so I don't know how familiar you are with this point that I'm trying to make. But he gets fired from the Bulls after the Bulls had finished there very, very close to getting into the NBA championships but never quite got their runs. And that was when they had Joakim Noah and uh, Derek Rose, Jimmy Butler, and um, Taj Gibson, Carlos Boozer, you know, all those lovely people. I don't know why I said that as if they weren't. I'm sure a lot of them are. Derrick Rose is like, <laughs> Derrick Rose is a saint. Um, anyway, but he goes to Minnesota, and then sneakily he starts acquiring those guys one by one, hoping to rebuild exactly what he had in Chicago, and it just doesn't work. I feel like, especially with Holland and Davis, like these guys are kind of old, and like they've been beaten to shit the last couple of seasons. I mean, Greg Holland had like kind of a bounce-back season this past year, but Wade Davis has just been beaten to shit since he went to Chicago, dude, so I don't... Well, you gotta remember where Wade Davis... But he did well in Chicago. You gotta remember where he went after Chicago, and that's why he got beat up. He played for a Colorado team that had one good pitcher in the bullpen, and that was Wade Davis. So, he, so Wade Davis was signed to a Miley contract, and I think this is a guy that, like, uh, more than so than Greg Holland, it has a higher potential to come back and get too close, at least close to what he was. But, I mean, still, look at the other pieces in their bullpen. Kyle Zimmer, Scott Barlow, Jake Newberry. I mean, these are guys that have high potential 
as closers. It's not even counting uh, Stumont. Oh, Josh Stumont was oh, this lights out. I love watching Josh Stumont pick because he's 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 like a right-handed Garrett Crochet with a man bun. It's fantastic. <laughs> the dude's got nasty stuff. So that's another. And that's what I'm saying. The bullpen, like they have pieces of guys that are just about to come up, and even too like. You want to talk about a left-hander that has a lot of potential? Asa Lacey, their former draft pick, I think, two years ago. Nasty stuff as a left-hander. Um, oh, great stuff. So, I mean, like, and then plus two, they signed Mike Miner. So they have pieces, and Mike Miner is a guy who he's going to excel from having a large stadium. But Kaufman is not a small stadium. So the fact that he can give up fly balls and they're not going to go out, it's really going to help Mike Miner. So they have pieces – is the problem is Kansas City more than any other team in order for them to really make the run like I expect a lot of them got to click and click well and click all yeah. season you cannot have Perez go down you cannot have you know these you cannot have Whit Merrifield go out because Whit Merrifield is the best hitter on the team yeah that's always been their problem is like consistency like um and Alberto Mondesi is a hell of a player he's so much fun to watch but like if there was a poster child for inconsistency, um, it's probably him. He's because like yeah. he has these hot streaks where he's in like four hundred and like in like two weeks, and he's even like crushing the ball, like looking like a power hitting shortstop almost. And then the next week he will be hitting one twenty with thirty million strikeouts. Like it's 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 ridiculous, and like. Yeah. And the Royals have a couple guys like that. Like Hunter Dozier is a guy that all of a sudden can make himself like the premier third baseman in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian O'Hearn. Ryan. Uh, it's not Brian. It's Ryan. It's Ryan. I call him Brian because he was on my fantasy team. I don't know yeah, why I do that. That doesn't make any sense. I know, but my bro- we've already established my brain is broke. I mean, Nicky Lopez is like a really speedy contact-based second baseman. The Royals, to me, are one of those weird enigma teams where like, None of the pieces, like they like when you look at the lineup and you see a lot of like not very many big names. Like of the team of the names they have left from that big run, it's Danny Duffy and uh, Salvador Perez, not including the two they just reacquired. Mm-hmm. So like that's just so strange. I want they like, I want them to do good, and I think they have the players to do good because I want to see Whit Merrifield start winning playoff games. Whit Merrifield's the best hitter yeah. in baseball. You can at me if you want. Mm-hmm. I will fight it till the day I die. Whit Merrifield is the best hitter in baseball. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like every every bad team has the one guy who you look at and you're just like, damn, I really wish that he could like get his chance in the playoffs. Like Mike Trout, he's played like what two career games in the playoffs or something like that, and yet he is arguably the best player of our generation. Like <laughs> it was like three because they got swept by the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, and then like he he deserve he deserves. He deserves at least 10 World Series rings, Mike Trout, but he'll probably only get one if he's lucky. Like, Whit Merrifield is one of the best players in baseball, too. Like, deserves a shot, but just hasn't gotten it yet. And yeah. and the fact that he can play second base and center field with pretty good consistency. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like he's sacrificing defense when he moves to the outfield. No. Um, the man is fast, he can hit, and he has some pretty good pop. And he's not going to be like a 25 home run hitter but he's gonna belt 10 a year so yeah but he's got a he's got he's got jorge jorge yeah jorge soler um batting behind him so that he can he can pick up the pop as long as Whit merrifield gets on base there's at least two rbis for jorge soler 
Dallaire is nasty, which makes it even funnier about the way Davis re-signing with uh, the Royals is that's who the Royals traded. That's who the Royals got for the whole the, They got Solaire for Wade Davis. So the fact that now they have both, it's like what the Cubs did, or what happened with the Yankees did the Cubs, where they traded Chapman to get Gliber Torres, and they have both now still. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the difference there is Aroldis Chapman left to get a ring and came back with one while the Yankees sat there ringless. Yeah, I don't think Wade Davis won with the Cubs, right? No, he, he came. No, yeah, because Solaire... I remember Solaire won a ring because uh, he infamously hit a triple when he should have had an inside the park home run because he stood there watching the ball. Yeah. I remember that. Now, he, not... just, now he can watch the ball because it does go out because his power. Yes. yes, but I will not Soler let him power. Down. Um. So the only real thing that I think the Royals need, because like look at the offense, maybe like a left fielder, but like honestly the offense is good. Um. They, the offense, what the offense needs is not something you can buy, and that's just consistency. Yeah, I mean, if it's consistent, it's great. Uh, but to me, a starting pitcher would go a long way for the Royals, and like, not even, not even like a guy like Bauer, but like, you know, one like Paxton level uh, pitcher, I think, would do really well in Kansas City, and then like someone along the level of. Mike Miner, but they already signed Mike Miner. I don't know how much Kansas City is willing to commit to a potential run without much evidence that there is one there. So yeah, I don't. I I feel like they're coming close to a rebuild. I think once Salvador Perez leaves, like whether he like quits because he's just gets injured every twenty minutes, or he just gets traded or decides he doesn't want to be in Kansas City anymore. I think once he's gone, though, you're gonna start to see like a full-scale rebuild. I'm excited for the day that we get uh, Bobby Witt Jr. and Witt Merrifield in the lineup together. Witt and Witt in the lineup. Yeah, that's going to confuse me. Um. (laughs) It'd be so fun to watch you make the mistake of confusing like confusing them too especially the one day they'll play like short and third yeah i'll just i'll just refer to both of them as a wit and you'll just have to decipher which one i'm talking about (laughs) one day they're gonna both hit our runs you see the home run wit hit (laughs) oh my god yeah that's it's gonna be a nightmare wait is that right so that's it that's the last team in the division we wanted to talk about so let's get to our end of the show usualness so we're going to mix it. I want to mix it up a little bit this week. We talked about some uh, Negro League players the last couple of weeks, but I want to talk about a Dominican Republic pitcher who I feel like is one of the most underrated Hall of Famers uh, in terms of pitching. I think nowadays he is well-respected and known as a great pitcher, but I think back in the day he wasn't. Uh, and that is Juan Marichal. Yeah, I think I can think of many reasons why back in the day he wasn't really uh, highly regarded. Um, you know, like the problem of people are really, really openly racist. <laughs> yeah. A man played in the 60s, and the man had some great games back in the 60s. I mean, his major league debut threw a complete shutout with 12 strikeouts against the Rangers. And one hit. Don't forget about that. Yeah, he only gave up one hit in a nine-inning game. I mean, that was his rookie debut in uh, 1960. Um, but he was born in the Dominican Republic in 1937. He got signed by the New York Giants in uh, before the 1957 uh, s- uh, season as an amateur free agent. Uh, he made his debut three years later, like I said. He pretty much played his whole career for three teams, San Francisco, Boston, and L.A. I mean, he's famous for his years with uh, San Francisco. Uh, but I, what I love about uh, Juan Marichal is uh, what the, the one game he is most famous for 
and that is a game against 43-year-old Warren Spawn, which is fascinating in its own right. The man at 43-year-old did what he did. But uh, that game went into the 16th inning, and both starting pitchers were still in the game. I feel like I feel like that wasn't a testament to how good they were. It was more a testament to how stubborn they were. I bet, yeah. if, I bet if either manager tried to pull and they got met with a bunch of swearing and spit. <laughs> yeah, it was a young Juan Marichal versus an old stubborn Warren Spahn. So it's like, which one? You don't want to pull. Neither was going to. The only way either was leaving that game was if they like got carted off the field. And Willie Mays was the deciding uh, the deciding hit. Warren, gave, Warren Spahn gave up a solo shot to Willie Mays, so... Well, they made like, but still, like sixteen innings. You will never see that again. Yeah, we barely saw pitchers make it out of the fifth inning alive this like those last seasons. So, like, seeing not one but two people pitch sixteen innings, it just it makes no sense. Yes, it's just crazy. Um, milestones that Juan Marichal got. He is a, he was a 10-time All-Star. He won and he won the MVP of an All-Star game and he got the ERA title in 1969. Uh, I think he had like an ERA of like 2.10 that year. Uh career stats. He won 243 games. He has a 2.89 ERA. That's an ERA below 3 for a career. That's outstanding. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like that is jaw-droppingly outstanding. Like, you don't see that. Uh, he pitched over 3,000 innings, 2,000 Ks, and he played for 16 years. Um, he has a war of 16 or 62.9, which uh, war basically is like the number of wins you are like. I don't know if I've explained this yet, if, if anyone knows what it is. Um, but war is basically like the wins above replacement. How many wins are you worth to your team above the guy behind you? He's worth 62 more wins than any like than anyone who could replace him, like than the average player. That's yeah, a yeah. lot. Also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he, until Bartolo Colon, wasn't he, like, the all-time leader in wins for Dominican-born pitchers? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So, um, Bartolo's the greatest? Bartolo got <laughs> caught. What was Don't that? about that. Bartolo once got caught. Ah, oh, son of a bitch. For only once. So, he, so it's saved. Anyway. Still counts. Yeah, he's still, still good. <laughs> um... One last thing about Juan Marichal, he got elected to the Hall of Fame in 1983. He only got 313 out of the possible 374 votes, which surprises the hell out of me because that is 83% about, and I would expect a guy with like his numbers, his stats to be up more closer to 90. Yeah, but again, racism. Look, there's so many, there's so many writers that just believe, they just don't vote for guys because they don't want to. The fact that the the fact that the first player to go unanimous wasn't Ken Griffey Jr. was the day I got really mad at the Hall of Fame. Okay, but honestly, I'm really glad that it was Mariano Rivera though, because he deserves everything in the world. Mario Rivera is a great player, but I'm saying like Ken Griffey Jr. Who who doesn't think Ken Griffey Jr. is a Hall of Famer? Two apparently oh. two people. I thought it was one guy. I know it's two. He uh ah uh, Jeter missed it by one. Right, yeah, because it was a Boston writer too, wasn't it? It was a Boston writer who didn't vote for Jeter because he didn't want to, and it was it probably was two Yankee writers that didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. because he said he never played for the Yankees. Uh, it's a great story, why? But we won't talk about it now. So is that, why, is that why Tory Hunter missed out on like any votes this year because he said that he never wanted to play for Boston? Probably, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, he had a really good reason. Um, look it up. Yeah. Um, 
I don't want to really go over Aaron it. Jones too said he'd never play for Boston. A lot of guys have said they will never play for Aaron Boston. Jones. Adam Jones. <laughs> it's like, like if they're running back for the Packers. <laughs> Man, my brain don't work sometimes. Anyway, let's bring it again to our end of the show quote. It's from the very hilarious and funny Bob Uecker. Uh He said, I knew my career was over in 1965. My baseball card came out with no picture. Never heard that one. I like that one. Uh, and if you guys haven't heard it, he has a Hall of Fame speech that's basically just a 20-minute stand-up special. And it is the funniest thing I've ever heard. If you're a baseball fan and you want to laugh, Bob Uecker's Hall of Fame speech is the most glorious thing ever. Yeah, honestly, uh, better than his commentating. Not a, not that big a fan. Sue me. I love his commentating. I will sue you. We'll see you in court. All right, and I will see you with Robin Hood. <laughs> we'll see you next episode. Yeah.